Hey, this is Christopher Haru. If you want to learn the six and seven figure science of success like I have, significantly increase your revenue and learn how to successfully build professional relationships, you should be listening to Sell Without Selling podcast with my good friend, Stacey O'Byrne. If you're ready to get out of your own way to follow the seven figure science of success, then welcome to Sell Without Selling. Tune in with renowned international speaker Stacey O'Byrne as she shows you how mastering relationships, achieving the proper mindset, and attaining the necessary motivation will catapult you away from failure and onto your journey to greatness. And now, here is your host, Stacey O'Byrne. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Sell Without Selling. I'm your host, Stacey O'Byrne, and today I'm speaking with a really good friend of mine, Chris Haro. Chris Haro is a licensed CPA by the state of California. He's been licensed since 2001. Christopher has worked for various accounting firms in Orange County after graduating from Cal State Poly in Pomona. Starting in 2010, Christopher started his accounting practice from his dining room table in his spare time. Once the practice's revenues were enough to support his wife and two boys, he took a big step and quit his day job to work in his practice full time. Fast forward to today, and Christopher prepares over 500 tax returns a year, processes payroll for small clients, specializes in tax resolution and small business tax returns. I also know Christopher's practice does a lot more and we'll get into that in a little bit. I believe that learning the art and the science of how to sell without selling is the only way to achieve high six and seven figure success. I'm really excited for you to hear today's conversation with Chris. He truly is a money mastermind. This is gonna be a phenomenal conversation. I invite you to grab your notebook and pen. I'm gonna extract as many golden nuggets from this man as I can. And really quick, if you're a business owner, entrepreneur, sales professional, you haven't hit the level of success that you wanted or needed, or if you're stuck and needing a pivot in your business, in your success, or you just want more, and you understand the importance of surrounding yourself with like-minded, successful-driven, high-performing professionals, and you want different results, better results, you're ready for more, we are launching several new group coaching and mastermind platforms, and we invite you to hop over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. There's a quick application there that will lead to a personal phone call with me so that we can make this upcoming year your year once and for all. No longer words, true actions. Chris. Welcome to the show. I know you're a busy man. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, Stacey, for inviting me. I'm honored to be I, on your close to 100th or over 100th podcast. But <laughs> I am upset it took you that long to invite me. <laughs> you know, I know that uh, this past year with, with the PPP loans and everything that's been going on in the tax realm, I wanted to give you the opportunity to be of service to your clients, which is why I wanted to wait till we got into a little bit of your downtime 
which is kind of like the eye of the storm for your industry, because let's face it, these next couple of weeks, you're really in preparation mode for your clients for the next year. So me waiting till the end of the year was very strategic. <laughs> well, you are correct. I am in the eye of the storm per se, but now yeah. we've already been prepping and calling clients since mid-November about getting ready for the end of the year to make payroll, uh, contribute money. These are tidbits you should be writing down about making contributions to retirement accounts, trying to minimize your taxes every legal way that we can. Nice, nice. I like that. I like that. So, so I'm curious, what got you into accounting, Chris? Honestly, it was easy and I could get a degree in it. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> so so what made you decide one day to go into practice for yourself? And I ask for, for a very specific reason. You know, 2020 has, has been a, a, a year. It, it's been a year of, of learnings, of lessons, of clarities, of, of devastation for some. And, and I, I've said this in many podcasts recently, you know, 2020 poked the giant. 2020 woke up the beast and the beast being corporate America. And corporate America has realized that they can do more with less. So a lot of people are finding themselves being laid off, being furloughed, having a, a lot of cuts happening. And for that reason, I believe, I'm predicting that we're gonna see this huge immersion of entrepreneurism. And, and I think that these newly emerging entrepreneurs really have an opportunity to learn from those of us who did. So I'm really curious, what made you decide to move from the day job, as you had referenced it, to your own practice? I wanted the freedom of the time and managing my own practice. Mm -hmm. I'm blessed that my kids are older as the practice has consumed more and more time. It was actually easier for me to manage and pivot into the practice with my kids advance in age, meaning high school and graduating high school and off to college. Mm -hmm. But I just always wanted my practice. It was a not a written down goal, but a mental goal. And I may be a college professor planted the seed in my head in mm -hmm. one of my accounting classes, mm -hmm. but it just, it finally became reality. I love it. I absolutely love it. So, so, so I'm curious as, as a CPA, how do you define success? And, and Chris, I, I want you to, be, be, because I need my listeners to understand that, that you're just not a CPA. You, you, yes, you are an accountant. Yes, you are a CPA. Yes, you are a tax preparer. You also run a group called Money Mindset. You know, you navigate the stock market incredibly. You, you're, you're a tax planner, a tax preparer. So, so you have this broad view that, that most don't. So, so how do you define success? What is success to Chris Harrell? So I processed over 500 returns last year alone. Mm -hmm. And looking at all the data on those returns, meaning the income from my clients, I've seen clients strictly on social security, which paid them maybe $30,000 with a $10,000 pension. So that's $40,000 to survive on. Their taxes are minimal and they're happy. Mm -hmm. To me, that doesn't define success. 
I want to owe more taxes year over year, then I'm making money. Okay, wait, wait, wait. I want you to say that again. I want to pay more to Uncle Sam year over year because that means I had a better year last year. How do you guys feel about year. that? You have you have a tax preparer, an accountant advising you to pay more taxes. I want you guys to hear the mindset behind that. I, I got to tell you, the the bigger the check I write uh, for payroll, for for operating expenses, for commissions, for taxes, the more I realize the more successful we become. Okay, I didn't mean to interrupt. I That's just, okay. I wanted I wanted to grab that gold nugget and serve it on a platter for them. Keep going, please. So again, I'll see clients making $40,000 paying minimal taxes and they're ecstatic. Mm -hmm. They've might've done well, never spent more than they've made, paid off their house so they could survive. To me, that's not fun. I have a trip planned uh, in the summer to go on safari to Africa. Mm -hmm. That's gonna cost over $10,000. Mm -hmm. And if I'm living on a $40,000 a year income, there's no way I could plan that trip because by the time I save up enough money, inflation will have made that $10,000 trip cost $20,000. Mm -hmm. So I need to expand my income year over year so I could do the fun things that I like. To answer your question specifically, what type of client do I look at that I think is successful? One who has various income streams from stocks, bonds, rental properties, someone who's making money while they're sleeping, not just trading their time for dollars. I love that. I absolutely love that. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, we, we're, we're talking about the, the stock market and money. What, what is it that you think prevents people from diving into areas outside of their knowledge? I'll give you a good example. I bought my first out-of-state rental property, I believe in 2005. I was scared. Mm -hmm. I didn't mm -hmm. see the house because I didn't have much money to fly to North Carolina to see the house. Got financing, put the down payment down, down, signed escrow papers, finished it all remotely from here. I saw pictures of the property. Mm -hmm. And once it was done, I was like, wow, that was easy. I could do this again. Mm -hmm. And I ended up building a portfolio of five rental properties at one time. Okay. I just sold one. My last one actually on Sunday, I signed the contract to sell it. So, so what, what is it that you think prevents people? Is it, is it their mindset? Is it their lack of knowledge? Is it uh, not believing in themselves? Is it a culmination of all the above? It's a nasty four letter word, fear, mm. fear of the unknown, fear they're going to lose all their money, fear that, or not necessarily fear, but they heard from a friend who did this and lost money. So now they're intimidated by their friend's lack of education who lost the money mm -hmm. and they don't want to educate themselves and they won't take the first steps. I, I, I think fear, fear paralyzes people and, and it's that paralysis that, that, that keeps them stagnant and, and it keeps them not moving. And, and I really like that you brought that up. Curious, how did you break through that? I was young and dumb. <laughs> okay. How do you break through it today then? Because you can't say you're young and dumb now. <laughs> uh, I've 
been successful more often than not where I built up a nest egg and I take calculated risk. So I look at it as an overall picture, especially when I'm trading in the stock market. If mm -hmm. I put $5,000 at risk, one of my criteria is, can I make this $5,000 back in the stock market over 10 months? And if I can, then I'm not scared to put that money at risk. Gotcha. How do you um, develop the, the calculation for the calculated risk? Do you gauge everything on what you can perform in the stock market or do you gauge it other ways? It's now it's developed into a gut, so I can't quantify it. Okay. But for stock market, it's a number. If I could, if I'm making enough residual income to pay off whatever I purchased in 10 months, then there is no risk because the stock market will pay me off if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. More often mm -hmm. I'm right, but I'm not going to lie. I am wrong sometimes. So, so you're, you're talking a lot about the stock market. So let me share with people uh, a little bit about you. And I'd love for, for you to pipe in as well. You know, Chris has studied how, how the wealthy uh, leverage money as a resource. And the one thing he learned is, is they, they utilize resources like the stock market and they, they avoid doing what the common person does in the stock market. And that's what we call timing the market. You can't time the market. You'll, the, the market will run over you every time. He's learned ways that, that the wealthy utilize the stock market for investing and trading and options and margins and all of that. And it's way too much to get into this podcast. However, his knowledge has learned how to teach people who have small, modest nest eggs to be able to really work the stock market like the wealthy do. Is that, is that fair to say, Chris? Yes, that's correct. But let me give you this quick little story that I've, and I don't know who I picked it up from, but okay. I've always traveled with this story. So the poor, a poor person per se will go to a rent-a-center and rent a TV or rent a refrigerator. Middle class will say, I'm not as, I'm smarter than the poor. I'm going to put this on a credit card with no interest for a year and pay it off. And so in 12 months, they got their refrigerator paid off with no interest. Or, or the middle class will save the money and then buy the fridge cash with no interest because they're not as, they're smarter than the poor. Well, the rich will take $10,000 worth of assets, say, I'm going to trade this, generate $1,000 of income to pay for my fridge, pay their fridge, and still have the $10,000 of income to keep trading or keep investing to keep it growing. Nice. So, so you actually have created a group and you educate, you mastermind with people how to learn how to work with money like the, like the wealthy do. Yes? Correct. Birds of a feather flock together. Absolutely. It's hard to find people who have the same mindset. And, and with your clients, with your clients, you also teach them how to do their taxes like the wealthy do. Correct. I look at their taxes to minimize their tax liability as much as I can within the code. I try to see if they're open for learning other criticisms, as I call them, mm -hmm. but they're not always open to criticisms. So what's a criticism? Share some with us. Uh, so here's a great one. A lot of clients will like to keep their mortgage interest because it's a tax deduction. So I assume for those of you who have a calculator, I'm assuming a 25% tax bracket. So that means for every dollar you pay your bank, 
And remember, the banks have nice, pretty high-rise buildings that are financed from these loans. So for every dollar you pay the bank, you're really saving a quarter on your taxes and your 75 cents is going to that pretty high-rise building in New York hmm. in downtown LA. So pay off your mortgage, put the 75 cents in your pocket and pay the quarter to taxes. You're actually saving 75 cents and increasing your wealth by paying down your house. But the misconception is I want that tax deduction, but it's really costing you 75 cents to save a quarter. Mm -hmm. So how do you recommend people pay that mortgage off? I mean, I mean, look at this past year, a lot of, a lot of Americans took hits, right? The mortgage right now, it depends on your rate and how astute you are. If mm -hmm. you're not good at saving your money, then I'm going to tell you, pay down your mortgage. Okay. If you're disciplined and have self-control, then pay down the minimum amount, especially if your interest rate is 2.5%, 3%. Take the extra money you would have put to principal and invest to an, a simple S&P 500 stock fund mm -hmm. or maybe a mutual fund, which I don't recommend, but for the average person who doesn't have time to trade, that's the best way. Maybe save it up and buy a rental property, but take that principle because you're gonna be able to invest it and make a greater rate of return than we'll just use 3% than 3%. If you think putting it in the bank will make a greater rate of return, that's incorrect. The bank is going to pay you 0.75% and you're paying the mortgage at 3%. So you might as well just pay off your mortgage. Right. But if you right. can invest the funds that are going to have a return greater than 3%, invest the funds. Now, now, just so you guys know, you know, I, I've been working with Chris uh, on some of his market strategies and, and I believe if memory serves me properly, when I looked at my portfolio last week, I, I think I have increased my portfolio uh, by like 10%. It was like nine and a half or 10%. And the bank's not paying that money, right? All the strategies that, that Chris has shared with me has, has given me an increase. And, and, and I have to tell you, I played small because I'm learning it. And, and the, the more he works with me, the, the, the bigger it's going to get. And I'm really excited. So, so I want to ask uh, a Hold question. Hold on, I got to share. I got to share. Yes, sir. So we talked a lot about the stock market, as you've mm -hmm. printed out. Mm -hmm. I've also invested in real estate. So the property that I sold, I purchased 14 years ago with $10,000 down. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, I did not have the credit. So I went in with a partner. Mm -hmm. so I was a one-third owner. My partner was two-thirds and he, he was able to get the mortgage in his name. Mm-hmm. Fast forward 14 years, and I estimate at closing, I'll have $35,000. So, so I took my $10,000 and turned it into $35,000 or a $25,000 profit. Mm -hmm. So I did the math, I'm a CPA, and it's about an 18% cash on cash return year over year. Nice, nice. That's oh, again, the bank's paying 0.75. So you, if you want to get wealthy, you have to do something than other putting your money in the bank. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, if, if you don't understand money like a CPA does or a money person does, it's important to, to align yourself with someone that can see the future, see the past, see the present, 
and help work on strategies that are going to have your money work for you. Because let's face it, you work hard for it. So for me, my, my money, I call my Benjamins, my soldiers, and they go out and they march and they bring back more. And, and, and I invite you guys to really sit down and see how your money's working for you. We can spend money or we can invest money. And I have a very simple rule of thumb. I invest 30% back into myself personally in my personal and professional development. And then the other 70%, I invest in my future. And that's with strategy, financial strategies and money strategies that, that the wealthy utilize so that when I do get to that age where it's my freedom day, I've got freedom to do what I want, when I want, how I want, just like I do now. So Stacey, I need to interject because I yes. want to go back to something you said at the beginning. Yeah. You said you anticipated a lot of entrepreneurs after all these job losses. Mm -hmm. A lot of people becoming sole proprietors, which mm -hmm. I agree with. What the average person, or I should say the average person has not gone to school to learn how to run a business or to account for a business. Yeah. Even though I'm an accountant, even I had to get real life experience. So one of the things I do when my client first comes in and they're starting their business is I go over, I'll just do my little, well, I'll just tell you what I teach them. The first thing I teach them is what does the IRS call an expense? Because they always get hung up on what's an expense. An expense mm -hmm. isn't per IRS, an expense is any ordinary and reasonable business expense incurred to create the income. So it's vague, but at the same time, it's common sense. Mm -hmm. I noticed pictures behind your wall. So I'm going to use your picture as a prop. And I'm going to say that picture costs $500. Well, that's an ordinary and reasonable expense to purchase a $500 picture for your wall for decorations. Mm -hmm. Now let me change the facts. And you bought a Van Gogh for $10 million and you put it on your wall and you mm -hmm. try to write that off. That's not an ordinary and reasonable expense for sell without selling. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to change the facts one last time. I'm an art dealer. I bought the Van Gogh to sell. That $10 million is now deductible. Mm -hmm. yeah. So a lot of people don't understand what happens when you start a business. They just know to make money. They don't keep accounting of what's going in and out. They just look at the bank account to see that it's higher than last month. So they must be doing good. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And actually, in a little bit, I want, I want you to sit down with them and go over some very specific things that they can posture themselves to make 2021 the, the wealthiest and most profitable year for them. So we'll get into that in a little bit. I know that just recently you made a very big move in your business. And this big move was an acquisition. So I, I want you to share with people how getting outside of your comfort zone has, has impacted you and your success. One of the things I've learned from you, from other coaches, from reading books, is you need to get out of your comfort zone. If you stay in your comfort zone, uh, that's great, but you're not growing. And so one of the things I want to do is to continue to grow. So there's for me as a CPA tax practitioner, 
there are several ways to grow. I could market and try to get new clients in the area, mm -hmm. go door to door, mm -hmm. or to speed it up at warp speed, I could buy, a, I could purchase a practice, which means I'm purchasing their book of account or really their client list and hoping and praying that they all come over to my services starting January 1. Mm -hmm. There is risk with that because not all will come over, but at the same time, the old saying, I can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. And so I'm really scared about it, but I also know it's the right thing to do. And I have, I would like my practice to be better organized. Uh, just some processes, when I say organized, I meant processes better in place, but at the same time, I think the average person is paralyzed by growing because they don't feel that all their processes are in correct order. And so they never take that step. That's great. That's great advice. My next question might make you squirm a little bit. Okay. And uh, I'm really curious, what, what's something that, that people misunderstand about you? About me? About you. Well, they think I'm smart. <laughs> Well, Chris, you are. So, so for me, your industry, your industry has has a very, a very fixed stereotype, right? Uh, and that's usually your people are numbers people. They're not really people people, or it's all about the numbers. There's fill in the blank. So many stereotypes out there. You actually run your business absolutely through your head because you're a brilliant man, you're phenomenal at numbers, you're a numbers guy. You, 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 your heart is in your business. I, I, I've had the, the honor and the privilege of, of working with Chris for, for years. And the one thing I know is when you are sitting down with your client, you are so heart-centered with your client that you look for every way to make their dreams, their realities, and keep them profitable. So that, that's, that's why I asked that question. I wanted to poke you to see if, if you realized how heart-centered you were in your business. Nope. <laughs> okay. One so, word answer, nope. Nope, that one word answer is fine. What's the best advice that, that you can give to an entrepreneur, sales professional, and a business owner that hasn't achieved success yet? It's not going to come overnight. I started my practice, as you said, on my kitchen table with a couple of clients. Mm -hmm. And I increased my marketing expense year over year. And it I was blessed on receiving a couple hundred clients from a practitioner who I folded into my practice mm -hmm. and just having, trying to do quality work at reasonable prices and being accessible to my clients to ask questions time. and you have to put in the time. Yeah. If you're not putting in the time, it's not going to happen. And I'll give you an example. A lot of people will join multi-level marketing clubs, mm -hmm. like an Amway is a big one. Mm -hmm. And you're up there and you're listening to the person speaking on the stage and they're showing you their Rolex, they're showing you their cars, they're showing you, what's the pink one where they get the pink Cadillac? Mary Kay. There's Mary Kay, they're showing you their pink Cadillac. Mm -hmm. um, but what they forget to tell you and educate you on is it's a full-time job, if not even more so. They're working that business for a lot of hours to hit those success rates. 
And a lot of people think they're just going to start off from the bottom and be getting that pink Cadillac. Mm -hmm. And they don't want to put in the time because it's actually hard work. So when you say put in the time, when, when, when they've got to do the work, Chris, what do you mean by that specifically? Like what kind of time, what kind of work? Because someone can sit in front of Facebook for 10 hours and troll their friends or, you know, post or read or contribute to groups and their business probably won't grow. It may, but it probably won't. So what do you mean by do the time and do the work? A wise person once told me, knowledge is not power. Applied knowledge is power. So they could sit in front of their computer reading or, excuse me, listening to YouTube videos all day long, learning about the ins and outs of selling. They could listen to Jim Rome, Bob Proctor. Uh, what's the other one with the Z? I always forget him. Zig Ziglar. Yeah, Zig Ziglar. Mm -hmm. They could listen to him all the day and learn how to sell. But if they don't apply it and go out and go door knocking because they're scared of, re really what it comes down to is they're scared of rejection. They're scared of having their friends think, oh, now you're doing that. They just need to embrace it mm -hmm. and apply the knowledge they've learned. And to cheat, honestly, you just go find someone who's successful and copy what they're doing. <laughs> so in my industry, we call that R&D, rip off and duplicate. <laughs> and actually, ironically, didn't the IRS add uh, R&D as a new write-off or it actually, it's a huge it's always, leverageable. It's always been a write-off. It's just how much you can write off and what they changed. Gotcha. gotcha. I love the IRS because they keep giving me work by changing the tax code. <laughs> yeah, you definitely can't rinse and repeat the returns anymore. And I, I would venture to guess the 2020s tax returns are probably going to uh, make you guys scratch your head because I'm sure that they're going to release a bunch of changes. Well, yeah, as we're recording this today on 1223, two days ago, Congress passed a bill that has not been signed into law yet. Mm -hmm. I'm waiting for the president to sign it. We're not going to get into all of that. But my mm -hmm. point is, is I have seven days left in the year and now I have to learn a new law that applies to my tax returns for 2020. Yeah. So it makes planning difficult for my clients. Absolutely. You guys get thrown at things. If memory serves me properly, last year, you guys didn't even get all the new laws till like January. First week of January. Yeah, it was crazy. So, so that let, let's talk about taxes. Let's talk about money. And, and I, I do want to put a disclaimer out there. And Chris, I want you to add to the disclaimer if necessary. We do have listeners all over the globe right? So he is, he is licensed in the state of California. Tax planning, tax preparation is tax planning and tax preparation. We highly recommend that you talk to your accountant, your CPA, your tax advisor. I just want Chris to share with you some smart business advice when it comes to tax planning, some smart business advice when it comes to money management, keeping in mind that state and federal laws uh, apply to you and anything he, sh he says he's sharing for what he shares with his clients in the state of California. Is that fair? So correct. Uh, the, the normal legal disclaimer is please contact your professional tax preparer to, con to verify whatever I speak and say is, applies to you and your position because I don't know your mm -hmm. history. Mm -hmm. But that being said, 
the first thing I want to talk about is if you're trying to save tax money, meaning lowering your tax liability, the best place is to put into a traditional IRA, your 401k plan, a SEP plan, you're going to get the best return on your tax dollars. So I'll give you an example. I have a client, he put $50,000 into his SEP, but it saved him $23,000 on his tax liability. Wow. So if he didn't put in the $50,000, he would owe $23,000 more. Mm -hmm. So simple math, that $23,000 really went from the IRS and states, state of California's pocket and went to his pocket. He married it with another $27,000 of his own money, and he has a retirement account for $50,000. Mm -hmm. For those of you home gamers who know that money will be taxed when he takes it out, but it's also going to grow tax deferred. Mm -hmm. So he gets a $23,000 tax savings today, and that money's growing tax deferred for his retirement. And mm -hmm. those are real numbers. Yeah, yeah. Not absolutely. to the penny, but they're real numbers. If you own your own business, it's December, again, December 23rd. Mm -hmm. If you're going to purchase something or you know you're going to need to buy something next year, buy it today. Pay your rent uh, for your office space today. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a rent but you have a mortgage, pay your mortgage today. Mm -hmm. And when I say pay it today, don't mail the check to the bank because they might not receive it for a week log on and pay your mortgage because it's based on cash basis. Mm -hmm. So if they receive your mortgage payment today, they for January, you actually get to deduct the interest in the month or in the year 2020. Mm -hmm. So on my small businesses, I tell them any purchases, buy it that you know you're going to buy, purchase it in 2020. For me personally, I am upgrading my server. So I paid for that. It was $5,000. So I paid for that already so I could get my tax deduction this year, even mm -hmm. though it's not going to be installed until next year. Mm -hmm. Smart. So um, there's a lot of different entities out there. And I know that, that this impacts people in California probably more so than, than in other states, but federal entities are federal entities. So there's a confusion for people as to whether or not they should be a sole proprietor, an LLC, an LLP, uh, an S corp, a C corp. How, how do you help people figure out what they should be and how they should set so up? As I'm not an attorney, I can't give legal advice on what is the Correct. best liability, but for Correct. tax purposes, I actually recommend forming an LLC and being taxed as an S corporation. Okay. With that being said, I don't recommend for you to form an entity until you're making $50,000 net income consistently per year mm -hmm. because you're just wasting your money. Mm -hmm. But if you want to come pay me to do a tax return for you, I would love to, but save your money until you're consistently hitting $50,000 a year net income. The right. tax savings don't justify it. Now, again, I'm not an attorney, but if you're worried about liability protection, there might be another reason to form it but that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm not an attorney. Exactly, exactly. I just know that, that there, are, there are a lot of sole proprietors out there that a few years ago, they had been told, wait, wait till you hit the six-figure mark before you incorporate. But the tax laws changed so dramatically 
a year or two ago that it dropped at almost halfway to where it's about 50, 60,000 now that they really need to consider it because they're getting penalized as a sole proprietor. Correct. So under the Trump tax code, there's something called QBI, which I'm not going to get into. Mm -hmm. But needless to say, on a business, you're able to deduct 80, or excuse me, 20%. So you're being taxed on 80% of the business income, mm -hmm. which is a big tax savings. However, as a sole proprietor, you still get that same tax savings. Mm -hmm. But there's a bigger tax savings by having an entity. Got it. Got it. I know that that networking has grown your practice substantially. How did networking end up impacting you? And how did you leverage networking? How, how did you do it? So when I first started my practice, I went to networking with team. I don't, I'm assuming I could say team. Sure. With team. I was naive. I was, it was in Huntington Beach, so it was a little bit of a drive for me, but I was invited by somebody who I knew in the group. Mm -hmm. The people were very nice in the group. On my first or second day in the group, I actually received a referral for a tax return that brought in revenue of $1,000. I actually, it's a weekly lunch meeting, so I calculated how much is it going to cost me in gas, month, and membership fees for a year, mm -hmm. and it came out to about 1000 so I figured I could give this networking thing a shot for a year because I already made that money on one, on my very first day, actually. Wow. And so it, what that gave me was the patience to sit and, and be brainwashed, which really what I'm trying to say is, is to be educated by the teachings of networking and how networking works and not trying to oversell my products per se, but just to learn to build the relationships. And those have paid off greatly with that networking yeah. group. So much so that that fast forward years later, you're still getting referrals from that environment. Correct, I am. And I'm still giving referrals to the same people. And that's incredible. So so Chris, what what do you think in your opinion is, is more important? for someone to achieve success, skill set or mindset and why? It's a combination of both. So you have to have the skill set. And I'll give you an example. You could be the best painter in the world, mm -hmm. but if you don't have the mindset to be an owner and to hire a painting crew and to teach 11 painters to paint just like you, mm -hmm. you're just always going to be a painter. Mindset is to teach his crew to paint like him so he could go out and get more business. Mm -hmm. The thing that a lot of people have a misconception on and that which it hinders them from growing is I don't want to have an employee. I don't want to have to pay him the profits. I make more money if I do all the work myself, if I stay in control. Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about if they're sick or not. Mm -hmm. but they're never going to be able to grow because they just keep trading time for dollars. There's only so many hours in a day and they're, they're short changing themselves mm -hmm. because they have the best skill set, but they don't have the mindset. Mm -hmm. I love that answer. So, so my, my next question is going to kind of spin off that and then lead to another question. So, so I know that you invest in coaching on a continual basis in a multitude of areas. I also know that you coach people, your clients. And so, so how has coaching 
impacted your life and your success. That's the first part. There is a gratification of seeing them grow, of the positive reinforcement of somebody seeing me as an expert. And I'll give you an example. One day we were teaching and they're writing down notes and listening to every word I said mm -hmm. and writing it down and learning. And I just take it for granted. But that was just a real eye opener that someone was listening to me and that I'm an, actually an expert. Mm -hmm. So that was really gratifying. So the answer is it's really gratifying. Okay, so that's funny because you you answered part two's question that I hadn't even asked yet. So let's go back to part one. How has coaching, how's being coached helped you? Because I know that you have a money coach. I know that you have a business coach. I know that you have an industry practice coach. I can go on and on. You have a multitude of coaches. So how has coaching helped you Part two of my question was, how has you coaching helped others, at, which has then impacted you? So how has coaching helped you in, in your journey of success? So coaching has helped me, we'll use the stock market as an example first. Mm -hmm. It has helped me if I make a mistake, I have somebody I could bounce my ideas off of and teach me how to fix it. Nice. In my tax practice, I'm using my industry coach. Mm -hmm because she does this all the time with other practices. So it, again, it's saving me time. Mm -hmm. If you remember earlier in the podcast, I had talked about take, find somebody who's successful and take them out for lunch. Yeah. I'm doing the same thing with my coaches. I'm using their knowledge that they've acquired over years of experience to my advantage. Mm -hmm. Plus it gives me, and I'm not going to lie, a nice warm fuzzy feeling, except for when I have to pay them. <laughs> For those of you who want to know where that comes from, uh, Chris, Chris has a Chris has a relationship with his coaches that right about the time uh, the payment gets uh, withdrawn from his account, uh, he deploys texts to them that say, "Okay, this is going to hurt." <laughs> so the third part of my question, which was going to spin off the second part of the question, was. Um, what do you think about people that do it themselves, taxes, the DIY, the do-it-yourself tax? That's fine. TurboTax will lead you step-by-step step through it. Mm -hmm. But if something changes that you don't know about or something new happened, you can't, there is no speaker into TurboTax. I think there might be now where, but the mainly is you can't ask them, okay, what is this? Mm -hmm. You have to see if TurboTax prompts you for that form. And if it doesn't, then you're going to say, well, my, I might not need it. I must not need it. Finish your taxes, file it with TurboTax. Fast forward a year later and you get, a, I call them love letters. You get a love letter from the IRS that says mm -hmm. you forgot to report income. Mm -hmm. Like, well, I did my return. Well, TurboTax asked you for information on that form, but you mm -hmm. didn't understand what that form was. So you did not tell TurboTax that you had other income. Mm -hmm. In, in my opinion, the, the, the DIY when it comes to probably the most intricate thing that uh, impacts your money, your wealth, uh, you walk over dollars to attempt to save pennies. So the other, so adding on to that, the first thing is, is it's going to take them eight hours on a Saturday to try and figure this out. Right. And they're still not even sure they got it out. They, yeah. if they completed it correctly. And like you said, they could go to a professional. My job is to 
do it completely, stand by my work, mm -hmm. educate them, see what I could see, or when I say see what I could see, analyze their return and look for other deductions they might not know, educate them. If I don't see any other deductions, I try to educate them about real life stuff. Mm -hmm. And what I call real life stuff is, I am now educating my younger clients who just started off, have a house, small kids under 10, Okay, do you have life insurance? Then maybe we need to start talking about that. Mm -hmm. I do not sell life insurance, but I need mm -hmm. to educate them for that. Do okay. you have a trust? No, okay, you need to get a trust and educate them why. So it's not only just to prepare their taxes, I try to teach them things that I had to learn the hard way. I need you guys to hear this. Okay, so I'm really glad that, that, that you brought that up because I want to open the door for for you to help these guys understand what their what the role is of an accountant, a CPA, a tax preparer. See, in my opinion, you're 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 all three, right? Plus, you also do bookkeeping, your your company, not you personally, and payroll and all of that. So, so you're all encompassing services to what the standard business owner, entrepreneur, and sales professional truly need. And you know there are a wide range of professionals in your industry. Some, they just, you send them information, they plug the information in, they tell you how much you're getting back or how much you owe. That's like one bucket. The other bucket of people in your industry that I've noticed is you ask them questions and they answer them. So you have to know what to ask. And then the other bucket of professionals in your industry, they truly commit to being your partner. And this is where I believe you fall into. They truly commit to being your partner. And when they analyze the information, they start educating you with everything you're seeing, as well as they ask questions to get more information. So when people work with their financial experts, their CPAs, their accountants, their tax preparers, what should they look out for? What should they ask? What do they need to know? How do they make sure they're working with the right person? As you said in your question, is that tax preparer asking questions? What are they asking about? Are they just looking at last year's wash, rinse, repeat? They don't want to learn about you and your history. There's times due to time constraints that we can't do that. And then there's times where we can't. Also, are they going to charge you for every time you call them to ask for advice? I'll give you two examples. Well, one example. One of my clients won their showcase on The Price is Right. I didn't know about it until April 1st, the following year, when I told them they owed taxes on that money. And they said, why? I go, well, it's taxable income. I go, what did you do with the, the showcase? And they said, well, we went to Paris, first class. There was a boat. We sold it. Well, what you do with the proceeds? We paid down the debt. Again, if they would have called me and said, hey, when the price is right, I could have said that's taxable income. What downgrade from first class to coach to save for taxes, pay off the boat, save that for your taxes. But after the fact, I couldn't do anything. So if you're a preparer, isn't willing to take a question or two here and there, then that's not that's not a, a team person you want on that's not a person you want on your team. Mm -hmm. Now the one thing I always specify to my clients, 
if you're calling me every day, I'm going to start billing you. Right. But if it's right. once in a blue moon, I'd rather you call me so I could help you than not call me because you're afraid I'm going to send you a bill. Mm -hmm. And in the grand scheme of things, if I did bill you, it's most likely better than not and then waiting until later because I can't do much after the fact, meaning I can't help you save taxes. So you, as our listeners, you want to ask yourself, does my tax preparer rinse and repeat and just take the information that you give them and put it in and then tell you what you owe or what you're getting back? Or do you have to ask very specific questions and only get answers back to those questions? Or do you have someone that works with you that is asking you a lot of questions to help you best position yourself? Like I said, there are three buckets. We fall into one of the three or a culmination of a hybrid where the boundaries get blurred. If you are falling into the bucket with the rinse and repeat, you probably want to look for another tax preparer or advisor. If you're falling into the bucket of where you're asking the questions, you want to make sure that you're hyper educated on what questions to ask because you can miss a lot of opportunities. And then ultimately the most ideal is, is the last person, the last bucket. And that's the one that really accepts their responsibility to be your partner in your business. And I don't mean fiscally, I just mean commitment-wise. So I need to interject real quick. Yes, sir. I got to tell you a story. When I first started at my practice, I, again, I started with my kitchen table. Yep. I didn't understand mentors and coaches and learning mm -hmm. systems. So one of my clients, my first clients came in and said, oh yeah, my predecessor, his name is Ken. Ken told me to invest in an IRA. And I've done that and I'm so glad I listened to him and I have this. That was profound in that I learned that I have power per se in this chair and I try to use it for the common good mm -hmm. by educating you. One of my favorite things is when I get an 18-year-old kid who just started working, I tell him I'll prepare your tax return for free if you promise me you'll put into your 401k. <laughs> or if they're 21, what have you, just finished mm -hmm. college because it's so important for them to understand that. Mm -hmm. And the average person doesn't have a financial education. They just know, go to school, get a job, yeah. work overtime and save your money in the bank. Yeah. Understand that. So I've learned that it's, I have this knowledge from researching and reading mm -hmm. that I could benefit my clients. I love it. Absolutely love it. So Christopher Haro, you have made it to the signature question of the show. The signature question of the show is, what does selling without selling mean to you? So I'll ask, this is funny, I'll ask an intern or a first year staff, mm -hmm. am I in sales? And they always tell me, no, you're not in sales, you just do accounting. I go, but no, I'm in sales. I'm in sales every day. I'm putting forth the, my face as the company. I'm not trying to hard sell like uh, a seminar or convention, but I'm still in sales. If I don't sell anything, then I'm not going to put food on my table. Yep. But again, I'm not here to try to gouge you either. I want to give you quality at a reasonable price. 
So that's to me is sell without selling. I'm not here to sell and gouge you and try and say, oh, well, you need this audit protection plan. This is $9.99 per month. And you need uh, for 50 hours of consulting time every year. And here's another $500 bill. No, I just try to do my job and try not to add a reasonable rate with quality. There you go. So that's Sell Without Selling by Christopher Haro. So Chris, welcome to the random round. See, I believe that success leaves clues. And I like to extract these little golden nuggets so that our listeners can, can turn around and, and insert and integrate some of the stuff that they find that, that they like that our expert guests uh, share with them. So my first question in the random round is, what does your morning routine look like? What is my morning routine? Yes, sir. As the majority of my liquid assets are positioned in the stock market, I turn on the stock report okay. and listen to that. And I've okay. actually, I got to share the story. You would think you would just hear stuff about stocks going back and forth, but I've actually heard Secretary Minutia and I've heard other people talking, uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi talking. Mm -hmm. so it's not just the stocks. It gives you a good feel of what's going on in the economy and everything as a whole. Is there a stock report that you prefer over others? I watch MSNBC. I like okay. Jim Cramer. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. My, my second and last random round question is, we know that when it comes to accountants, CPAs, tax preparers, you guys have crunch times. You know, you've tax season is this eight week window of where I don't think you guys sleep and you mainline caffeine and then you get a few months off and then you do it again for all of the late filers, right? Correct. So how do you decompress? How do you recharge so that you can stay sharp and focused? I go on trips. I try to take a trip right after tax season. Mm -hmm. And then I try to go to Cabo in June. And usually by that one is when I really have decompressed. But due to our lovely pandemic year, none of that happened this year. But I try to go on trips. Yeah. So what did you do this year since you were uh, kind of confined with the whole stay at home, stay safe at home? We sailed to Catalina, rented nice. a sailboat and sailed to Catalina. Okay. Um, had some staycations at a local casino. Okay. Nice. That was really about it. Chris, it's been amazing talking with you. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Before we head out, what would be the best way for our listeners to get a hold of you? They could give the office a call, 714-994-1634, or check our website, which is Haro, my last name, H-A-R-O-C-P-A.com. So H-A-R-O, C is in Charlie, P is in Papa, A is in apple.com and the number again is 714-994-1634 so chris we'll make sure that that ends up in our episode notes it's been amazing chatting with you listeners i hope you got an immense amount of golden nuggets this man is truly brilliant your success is important to me and it's also important to me to make sure that these episodes are valuable to you. I'd love for you to do three things right now. First, I'd love for you to jump over to Instagram and follow us at Pivot Point Advantage. Instagram, follow us at Pivot Point Advantage. Second, second, I'd love for you to jump over to the Facebook platform and join our Sell Without Selling community. 
that's Facebook and join our Sell Without Selling community. Last and definitely not least, I'd love to chat with you, give feedback on the episodes and find out any topics that you're interested in to help make this more powerful and helpful to you achieving the success that you've always dreamed of, desired, and know you deserve. Head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacy. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacy. Always remember this, choice is a powerful thing and suffering is always optional. Get out of your way so that you can get on your way so that you can finally have your way. Have a safe and happy holiday season. Thanks so much for listening and I look forward to talking with you soon. Whether it's mastering your mindset, communication, or success, we have more ways to keep you on your journey to greatness. Be sure to visit us at pivotpointadvantage.com for exclusive online training programs, success-specific courses, and more ways to connect to Stacy directly to help you achieve the financial success you've always desired, dreamed, and deserved. That's all available on pivotpointadvantage.com.